need to know where the hum is? Rachel says it's that way. <laughs> All right, I had to finish my coffee so I don't fall asleep on myself. Okay. Well, here we are again, another Thursday. Tonight, we are going to be looking at worship and understanding what worship is. Okay, so uh, in the Hebrew, there is a word, it's shakah. And the word means to depress, to prostrate, prostrate, yes, make sure I say that right, reflex in homage. And um, in the Greek, the word would be proskeneo, which means to make obeisance, to do reverence. And that derives from two words, pros, which means towards, and keneo is to kiss. So it's an act of homage or reverence. It means to kiss towards. That's the word proskeneo. There's also a word yada. Okay, and this word in the scriptures always comes up as praise. And it means to use the hand to throw at or away to revere or worship. So uh, I just, first thing I want to say is that worship is not just singing songs, though that is a part of worship, but it's really an attitude of life, a position of the heart more than the physical position of the body. So with that, let's pray and we'll get into the study. Father, we just want to pray that tonight you would help us to understand what true worship is and how you desire us to worship so that we could um, just align our lives with your perfect will and that we would reverence you properly, that we would not do things our way, but do things your way. So just teach us and help us to internalize this so that in our minds, worship is not just the time that we sing before a Bible study, but it's a life that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, that is... Worship. And it is to be uh, all the time, every day, constantly, what we do with our lives. Um, the proskuneo, when it says to make obeisance, or, or no, it was in the shakat, it says to depress or reflex in homage. We see it in movies. In England, they do it when the king, the queen, they bow down. They genuflect, whatever. That's what it's talking about. Depressed means you're going down. So it would be to bow down, basically, or take a knee. Um, and then the the yada to to praise, to use the hand to throw at or to throw away, um, to revere or worship. And it would be just you go down on your knees and you just kind of you throw to your hands. It's just a, a nice big book. It's it's like a um, Surrender. There's a big old bug flying around if you guys have it. It's like surrender. That's what you're doing. When you throw your hands out, throw them away, and you're down depressed. It's just, and that doesn't mean depressed like, you know, I don't like my life. Not that kind of depressed. Um, that's what the thing is. That's what the word is. And, and our lives are to be lived that way. Again, not just, worship is not just when Michael's up here singing songs or whoever, Luke or whoever's up here singing. That is worship. It is a part of worship. We do that more to, um, it's kind of like, put the day aside, 
and prepare our hearts to hear from what it is that God wants to say through his word. So it's a preparation time. Um, nowadays, most churches, that time of what we call worship beforehand, most people think that's just, that's how we kill time until everybody gets to church so we can start the Bible study. That's basically what everybody thinks. When I used to go at Calvary Chapel West Covina when I got saved back in 1983, um, we would go to church at West Covina and, and we would be there a half an hour before worship started. And the doors would be locked. You couldn't get into the sanctuary. And there would be hundreds of us out in the parking lot just fellowshipping. You don't see that anymore. Like I said, now it's everybody figures that's the time you just, you know, yeah, dinner ran a little late, so we'll, you know, we'll show up a little late. They'll still be doing worship. We'll catch the last song or whatever. That's not what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a time where we just come in and we, we reflect, we focus. That's what, I mean, Michael doesn't just like, most of the time, just grab music and throw it on the, on the, the music stand and start going. Okay? Sometimes it happens that way. It's just the way it is sometimes. Hopefully, even when he does that, that's where God steps in. He puts the right music down. Um, the very last song he did was perfect um, for exactly what we're talking about tonight. Because um, that actually comes out of Isaiah um, chapter 6, where he talks about that he saw the King Uzziah. And in, he, or when King Uzziah, was in, King Uzziah had died, and it says he saw the Lord seated on his throne high and lifted up. And he said, woe is me for I am done. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. He, he understood who he was when he saw God. And that's the whole idea behind when we're here, we hear the worship and the songs and we go, oh, we realize, man, what an incredible God we serve. How holy, thus the words holy, 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 because that's what the seraphim and the angels, they sing that all the time. They realize and we realize how holy he is and then we realize how wicked we are. That we're a people of unclean lips. That doesn't necessarily mean we cuss, maybe. I don't know. I personally do not um, have in the past, but uh, that was a long time ago. I think it's very important that we have a seasoned speech. Um, but anyways, we won't get into all that. Uh, the first thing I want to look at is in Deuteronomy. You guys have the same notes I have today. I didn't change yours any. So what you see is what we're going to look at. Deuteronomy 6. Um, I do want to say that this is probably, I think, the hardest Bible study I've ever put together. Uh, I'm still there. Everything's there. Okay. It was, this one was really hard. Um, I think a lot of the reason it was so hard is because there's so much. This is like one thing that is just, the scriptures are saturated with this topic. Because God really wants us to understand it. So man, it was so hard to go, okay, Lord, where, what do I do? I mean, because we, we know worship is singing and it's praise and, but I've got to make it into a Bible study that everybody gets a really good grasp of what's going on. So hopefully I listened to the Holy Spirit and did that. Um, at the end we'll find out, huh? If you guys are all sleeping, then I know I messed up. Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 9. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, 
This is basically, this comes after what's called the Shema that the Hebrews used. And the Shema was verse 4 where it says, Hear over to Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. It's, it's a proclamation of who God is. And so then he says, and then you take your heart, give it to God, everything you have, all your soul, all your strength, and the commands that, that you take the words, which he commands today, Moses says, put them in your heart. And then I told you guys it was a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week when I talked about the phylacteries that the, um, the rabbis have. They have a phylactery. It hangs from their wrist, and then they have one that's on their head. It's on their forehead. This is actually where they get the idea of the phylacteries is because Moses tells them, you bind them as a sign on your hand, and on, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Okay? The rabbis use what's called a phylactery, and it has the Shema. Right? Isn't that what's in, the, in it? The Shema. Her dad's a Jew, so um, she knows a lot about Judaism. Um, they have them hanging on the wrists and on their foreheads. I've never been to Israel. I don't know that I've ever seen a real rabbi like that, but that's what they say they do. Um, so that's where this comes from, the phylacteries. But God re- wants us to love him this way. Okay, So this is the first thing God says. He calls us to love him with all that we are. That's basically what it's saying. Our heart, our minds, our soul, our strength. Everything you are is to be focused towards loving God. Everything you are. Our problem is we don't want to do that. We, it's, I told you guys last week, it's so crazy how when Tanner teaches a study on Wednesday night and then Thursday night I come in and I start teaching. And he's got the same scriptures I do sometimes. The same basic principle that I have. He was talking about this just last night. How you have to give all that you are to God. And we can't do things our way. We're supposed to be doing what He wants us to do. We give it all to Him. All of our lives. And the problem with most people today is they like the idea of God. They like the benefits that you get if you claim to be a Christian in their mind. You know, you've signed the the deal and I'm a Christian and so therefore I get heaven. It's kind of like an insurance policy, you know. It's fire insurance, right? I don't go to hell as long as I do this thing. Um, but that's that's not what Christianity is. I, I was... Telling Mary, and I know I've, I've told a lot of people, my family heard it, uh, but this week was crazy. Two days especially. Um, when the Lord opened the door, one lady, I went and hung two ceiling fans in her house. Three hours. Okay, ceiling fan takes me about a half an hour to hang. Two ceiling fans. It took me three hours to hang these ceiling fans. This lady was from Russia. I don't know what brought it up. We started talking about God. And three hours later, I'm like, hey, why don't you and Mark meet me at 7-Eleven? We'll go get some food for Stephen and Mark because we were supposed to go to lunch. I thought I'd be gone about an hour. I was gone three. God had a different plan. I got to just share with this lady. It was incredible. I'm hoping she's going to show up at church one night. We'll see. That was uh, awesome. And then uh, yesterday, I went to look at a job in Lake Arrowhead. And I told Stephen I'll be back like 15 minutes. Hour and a half later, he said, Hey, Dad, are you going to come back so we can have lunch? There's two ladies there from San, Santa Barbara area and wanted to know all kinds of stuff about God. I was just like, this is crazy, Lord. I can't believe what you're doing. Um, but they, the reason I bring it up is not because of what I was doing, but because of their mindset. The one lady, uh, the lady from Russia, she said, I, 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 I should, probably shouldn't even said that because if she ever shows up to church, and you're going to know, oh, that's that lady Kevin was talking about. If she shows up, don't you dare say anything. <laughs> she was just saying, I like to do what's good. I like to do what's right. And I think if I live my life that way, I'm okay. So I said, well, what do you base good and right on? 
What's the basis for what is good and what is right? You have to have a, some kind of a basis for it because if I say one thing and, and you say another, you say this is, you know, murder is right. It's okay for me to go kill people. Certain groups of people, I don't know, you know, 14 year old redheaded kids. It's okay to kill them. And you go, no, I, I don't think that's right. Well, what do you base that on? There's got to be a basis for what we say. Morality is based on something, right? And we know, I mean, we're sitting here in the church, hopefully we all know, it's based on God's word. We base what we believe on his word. And that's why I was telling this lady because the next day I was talking to these two other ladies and one of the first things the lady wanted to know, she goes, just let me know one thing. What does Calvary Chapel Running Springs think about homosexuals? Is it a choice or were they born that way? Because I believe they were born that way. So I just said, well, before I answer your question, let me ask you a question. On what do you base your belief? So because I have a basis for my belief, I want to know what you base yours on. And so I, an hour and a half later, I finally said, okay, at Calvary Chapel Running Springs, we believe that God created them male and female and that he didn't make a mistake. There's so much going on. You know, I, I, after an hour and a half, I can't give you an hour and a half. I don't even have that time to do this study, let, let alone tell you everything we talked about. But they're thinking. They're not thinking everything I need because they both, all three ladies that I talked to in the last couple of days, all three of them said they had a belief in God. They believed in God. But what they believed in God was not what the Bible says, which is why I question where do you base your belief? So the Shema, here is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It's always coming out of you. This thing's tripping out. Tanner's got to quit winding this thing up. Anyways, um, but see, when they had a question, there's nothing I love better than just start talking. I, I'm doing a job for this these two ladies Wednesday. I said, you guys, store up your questions. Write them down. And when I come back Wednesday, we'll go through them. We'll talk about this stuff. We'll, we'll run over. I've got it on this side. We'll go over the questions you have. I want to make sure that all that is within me, I don't know what this is, all that's within me, that uh, it's going to be God. My whole life is based on, and all the strength and everything I have is towards God and His Word so that when someone asks me a question, I don't have to balk at an answer. I don't have to think, uh oh, what are they going to think of me? Because I really don't care. I do not, uh, I, and I explained to them, I do not hate homosexuals. God does not hate homosexuals. God loves, we talked about this uh, at, at our Bible study on Tuesday night, is that God loves me and he loves Adolf Hitler burning in hell right now, millions of Jews, the same. And that's hard to wrap your mind around. It's like, wait, he killed it, he murdered. God's people. I've never killed anybody. I've killed animals, but not people. And God loves me and him the same. Is this thing still coming out or is it just popping? Because I'm not doing anything, man. It's not me. Uh, and that's crazy to think about that love. And I try to explain it to these people. I, I don't. God doesn't have to agree with your life or the things you do. 
His love is so incredible. God's love, that's who he is. He is love. And it's always there. And it doesn't matter what you've done. But he's just. So your punishment will come. But he still loves you. You could spend eternity burning in hell. And his love never changed. He, he just offers that to you. It, it's incredible. But that's God. And once we understood that and understand that, then our love can be for him on a much smaller level, but with all that we have. So this is a part of worshiping God. Is that thunder or what? Santa Claus. What's that, Chris? There is a, storm outside. a storm outside. Yeah, did you guys watch out for dust, right? Remember? Did you guys get that? Watch out for dust. Okay, so giving God all that we are is worship, right? Because that's what it's talking about, to, to depress, to prostrate, to make obeisance, to do reverence, to do, it's an act of homage or reverence, to revere. That's what this is about. And if we love God in that way, when you see who He is and His love, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm not doing anything. I don't know. Tanner broke it. It's Tanner's fault. He's going to come up Sunday and go, what did Kevin do on Thursday night? <laughs> Michael taught. I didn't. I wasn't. Um, but when we give God this, it's total reverence. When we give Him all that we are, because we understand who He is, that love that we have, it's amazing. We bow our knee and we just go, God, how can you love me? Like Isaiah says in chapter 6 when I saw that. In John 4... Jesus meets a woman, a Samaritan woman, which is an enemy of the Jews. He meets her at a well. He goes there. She's there to get a drink of water, and he's there to get a drink of water. And He, he wants water, and she, she's asking questions about the water, and he talks about how the living water, and if you drink of the water, you will thirst again, but I have water that you don't have to drink of. And then he starts talking to this woman about her husband's, and Anyways, so the woman said, Sir, I perceive, in verse 19, that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. But Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. The salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. So it's, you can see, it's not just song. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. Okay, it says nothing about music there. It's about lifestyle. Spirit and truth. It's a reality. Okay, people that know me, know this is the reality I live. I, I've said it before. I don't, I'm not different at home than I am right here. Okay. Other than like if a sports game's on, I'll be yelling and screaming and stuff like that. I love that at sports. But other than that, I don't usually yell and scream at church. Um, Patty used to hate it. I watched sports activities and I'd always wake my kids up when they were babies because I'd scream at a game and kids would wake up and then I'd get in trouble because they'd be crying. It scared them. Um, I don't hold my grandkids when I'm doing that stuff either. But anyways, God wants true worshipers. Those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. 
That's what he's seeking after. Now, God made a covenant with the children of Israel way back in the day. And we can see it in 2 Kings chapter 17. This covenant that God made is what he was requiring of the children of Israel as he was beginning to establish them in the promised land. 2 Kings 17.34 It says, To this day they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances of the law and commandments which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifice. So his his um, accusation against the children of Israel was that they were fearing other gods, they were sacrificing to other gods, but they were not sacrificing to the God that brought them to the place they were. That's where a lot of people are. They come to church, they fill a pew, they do the Christian thing, they get out in the world, and their sacrifice is out there. Another boat, got to take another vacation, got to spend some time at the river or in the mountains or... Is it my hand? Their sacrifice, the things they give their life to, are things other than God. And I'm not saying you, you can only go to church, you know, and you, that's all you can do, read the Bible, do prayer, sing songs, that's all you get. I'm not saying that. But the other things become idols and lifestyles that they want to have that draw them away from God. I don't have time to do whatever that thing might be. Okay? And it's easy to fall into that. I started surfing when I was in high school. And I loved surfing. I mean, I like, really love surfing. I constantly checked the surf report. I'd surf four or five times a week. I lived in Glendora. Okay, so the beach was about an hour away. I had no problem cutting school. Moose a few classes, catch some waves. Uh, big swell coming in, head down to Mexico, spend a week, just surf. I actually would not get involved in ministry because if a swell came in, I had to go surfing. So I can't do ministry. God, I'd love to help you out, but the waves are calling. And I, I truly, for a big part or the first part of my Christianity, that's what it was. I would not get involved in ministry. I would do sound, you know, at the church and because there's not a real big commitment to that. We had like, I don't know, 10 sound guys. So I just had to do sound once in a while. But I could easily get out of it if a good swell came in, right? I just call someone, hey dude, can you cover me? I got things to do. You know, and in the Mustang and to the beach I went. I didn't, I would never have told you surfing was my God or an idol or something that I feared or loved or whatever the way God is saying when these people were doing. They're fearing other gods. They're worshiping other things. They're sacrificing to something else. I finally, one day, listened to God because I'm sure He was telling me the whole time. But I finally listened. 
and realized that surfing was a little too important to me. I said, you know what, God? This is wrong. I'm done. I put my surfboard up. I said, I won't surf anymore. My surfboard sat in my room for a year. I did not surf. Did not do it. My board never came out of my room for a year. After a year, the Lord told me, it's okay to go surfing. Keep your priorities. Surfing is not it. We've got work to do. Just to make sure, many years later, that I never got back into it, God moved me to the mountains. It's really hard to surf up here. In fact, I don't even have a surfboard anymore. I gave my surfboard to somebody because I just wasn't using it. You know, my kids were getting older. It was That was a big part of it too. My kids getting older, they got involved in sports. You know, I had to be there for them. Kevin had to die. It's a hard process. It's not something that's fun. But I had to realize that I wasn't fearing God the way he asked me to. I wasn't sacrificing my life for him, but I was sacrificing ministry for him so that I could serve. And it took a while. And it was funny. It was about the same time. There's another guy. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of a guy. I know Michael has and probably my kids. A guy named Joey Baran. And Joey Baran was a professional surfer. He was, they called him the California kid. He was an amazing surfer. He's only like this tall. He's a short little dude. Great surfer though. And uh, it was around the same time. And I didn't know. But about the same time, God had done the same thing with Joey. Um, and took surfing away. He he only had to stay out of it for six months, though. So I don't know what the deal was with that. But um, but it's just the priority. What is it? What in your life that's causing you not to worship God with everything you have? I don't know the answer to that. But you do. Maybe you've already got it together. I hope you do. I hope you don't have to do what I did and spend a year of not ministering to people. Fortunately, after that happened... I decided to really get serious about the Lord. And they started bugging me at the church to start teaching children. Because <laughs> Patty was involved with the kids' ministry, like first grade or something. Like, no, I can't do that. I'd be Kids would be coming out of there crying, and I wouldn't have liked that. So I love kids, but I could not be in there with a bunch of somebody else's kids that I don't get to discipline. I don't mind having kids because I can discipline mine. And my nieces and nephews, and you can ask one of them sitting right there. He knew, man, you don't mess around at Uncle Kevin's house. Because if you do, you're just like my kid, man. You get punished just like my kids do. No big deal. And they all knew it. So they were always really good at my house. So I I plugged in with a junior high. That's where I plugged in. Because I thought, you know what, if I can stop junior high school kids from getting on drugs and drinking and doing all the stuff I was doing at that age, that's what I want to stop. So God started changing my heart. And he, he totally got it. And it as far as my heart so that I could do what he had called me to do. I didn't want to do this anymore. I didn't want to be fearing other gods and sacrificing other things to other gods and not my life to the God that saved me. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verses 19 through 22 it says, But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot them from my land that I, which I have given them. And this house, which I have sanctified for my name, I will cast out of my sight. 
And I will make it a proverb and a byword among all the peoples. And as for this house, which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and this house? Then they will answer because they forsook the Lord God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt and embraced other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this calamity on them. So God will allow you to do what I was doing and surf for, you know, rather than do ministry. He'll allow it. We are all free moral agents. We can do what we want to do. We have that opportunity and that ability because God allows it. And he also will allow us to surrender it all and give ourselves completely to him. This again is to the children of Israel. And he said that if they turned away from his statutes and his commandments and served the other gods and worshipped them, that he was going to take away all that he had given them. God does that because, and it isn't like, oh, how dare you do that? You know, it's not like you take the toy away from the kid because they weren't behaving properly, you know, right? I give him a Christmas toy and they're fighting with the brother, sister, whatever. So I grab the toy and I throw it in the trash can. You never get that again. Forget you. Beat it up with a hammer or whatever. That's not God's purpose. He'll take everything away from you so that you have nothing. And when you have nothing, you go, God, I got nothing. He goes, oh, you got me. Oh, I got you. Okay. Yeah, let's try that. Because that's where I was. Hey, I guess we're not going to keep recording. We're back. Oh, we still got the recording. Yeah, he's on the UPS. Uh Uh-oh. Is that Jacob? Oh. He's all right. He'll be good. Okay. A little bit low on the light. Is the sound system on still? There it goes. I hear it. Okay. So anyways, God will take away so that you have nothing. That's where I was. That's where many of us got to. God took everything away and we had nothing left. And when you have nothing, you can look to God and go, you know what? I have nothing, God. Let me try you. So that's where he wants these people to be. His purpose is to draw you back to himself. When you have nothing, then he has everything. And you can look to him and he will give you of the abundance that he has. We already went through all that again. Remember, this whole idea behind what we do here is we're building truth upon truth. So a lot of these things that I'm talking about, we've covered in past studies. The truths of those things. So God says, I will destroy you if you worship the other gods. But it wasn't just that he was going to destroy. Again, his purpose is not to destroy. His purpose is to give you the best. In Exodus 23, 24 through 26, Moses, God speaking through Moses, says, You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take, and will, I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. So there's a promise that God gives. And notice that this promise is in Exodus. The other two curses that I read in Chronicles and Kings, the promise came first. He, he offered the best first. And then they started turning away from him. 
when they started turning away, he goes, hey, if you turn away, this is what's going to happen. I gave you a promise. We see the same thing happen when you read the book of Hebrews. The, the, the Hebrew children were doing the same thing. They came to Jesus Christ, and then they started thinking, well, maybe the Old Testament law, the covenant of the Old Testament, is what we need to go back to, to get more close, closer to our roots. And they started going back on what they had. And he said, if you go back, then there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sin. You're under the law, and you will be judged under the law. So we don't want to start and then go back. Okay, And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people do. They come to church... Some of them get really on fire and a year, two, three, ten, they're back doing the same old thing they used to do. It's kind of like fireworks, right? You go to the fireworks show and it's big old boom and it's color and you're just like, oh, and then it's gone. It's like, oh, yeah. What's the next fire? Boom, you know, on the smiley face or the, what were some of the other ones? They've, the hearts now, right? They do the hearts and you're, oh, yeah. But they, they're so, what? Uh, the waterfall one. Okay, Whitney likes the waterfall one. So we got those ones too. Right? <laughs> but they only last so long. And then it's gone. And that's a lot of Christians. When I came to the Lord in 1983, I would say there's probably about 15 people that came to the Lord around the same time. Um, most of them. And all the ones that I knew from the world that came to came to church and made a profession of faith um, of all of them, as far as I know, none of them, other than me, is walking with the Lord. They were all there. They were all on fire. My one of my friends, uh, I gotta, I always, I gotta forget. I can't say a lot of stuff because of the recording. It's online now. It's like these guys might. Hey, right, Kevin, he's teaching, and then they're gonna hear their name and what he said. What about me? I don't know. Uh, but a lot of them, they find other things that occupy their time like I did with surfing. But I listened. I praise God. He, he spoke and I listened and I changed. He wants all of us to change. He has a, a blessing for us. He said he was going to bless the bread and the water, take away sickness from the midst of them. They were, the women weren't going to suffer miscarriages or be barren. And he would fulfill the number of their days. I've told a story before about this one guy that I went to school with. Um, I didn't know that he was a Christian. And I only said, I, apparently he was. I don't know. All I knew of this guy, uh, and if he hears this on tape, we're really going to have some issues, But because uh, he died. Uh, this guy at school, Frank, uh, the only thing I knew about him was the guy never had cigarettes. Always bumming cigarettes from me. Oh, they do get a cigarette? He, I, he always carried a book. I didn't know what it was. It was a Bible. But he didn't live any kind of Christian life. Like I said, he was always on the hill. At Glendora High School, we had a smoker's hill, if you believe that. As long as you were on the hill, you could smoke at school. It was not a big deal. Glendora High School had a smoker's hill, and you could smoke there as long as you were on the hill. So we'd be on the hill, and if you wanted to start smoking weed or doing whatever drugs you were going to do, we'd go catty corner of the school. There was a park, and we'd go over there. And Frank was either on the hill bumming cigarettes or he was over at the park, but never sharing Jesus. Frank was mowing his lawn one day, and he hit a rock with his lawnmower. It flew over and hit his neighbor's bird bath. His neighbor came out with a knife and stabbed him to death. Seventeen-year-old oh kid, senior in high school. I was a sophomore, I think, that year. Um, and he was dead. 
I didn't know he was a Christian. But I always think, you know, now that I'm a Christian, I can look back on that and go, you know, he never shared with me. He never shared with anybody that I know of. I never heard him talk about Jesus. But he was always bumming cigarettes and hanging out with the party crowd. And, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm not saying he didn't make it to heaven. Obviously, I, I don't know. I believe he probably did. But he wasn't effective for God. So I think God took him. God said, you know what? You're just, you're a bad example. We need you out of here. I don't know. I'm, I'm speculating. I, I can't say for sure. But God did say that no one shall suffer the miscarriage or be barren in land. And I will fulfill the number of your days. Your life could be cut short because you're disobedient to God. And he just needs to, you know what? Before you get too bad, I got to get you out of here. And I, I always think that was Frank because of the life he was living. He wasn't living it seriously for God. And he removed him from the planet. Um, I don't want that to happen. I want to make sure that when I face Jesus, I get to hear those words that we always hear about if you've been around church any length of time, where Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want things left undone. So I'm always looking for opportunity. That's why when I'm hanging fans at somebody's house and they bring up God, I'm on it. Hey, let's talk. You guys, I, I tell my family all the time, I'll come on, oh man, especially, you know, Stephen, he's got to work with me. I wonder why I'm off on another job for so long. You know, I do, well, here's what was going on. I love sharing God with people. I love talking about him. I like to let them know where I was because most people would not believe that I was who, I, my wife doesn't believe the way I used to be. She only hears stories. She has no idea what I used to be like. I, I've told her things, but most people don't believe it. They're just like, there's no way that was you. You know, but yeah, I was, some of you guys would have hung out with me. A lot of us probably would have just been brawling, but it's, it was bad. It was a bad life, but God, he's amazing. The things he does. So I spend my time worshiping now. God promises to bless if we are faithful in our service to him. He'll bless your bread and your water. He'll always provide. And he doesn't just provide like Tanner was talking last night, he gives you more than you could even think, right? More than you could imagine or think. I never would have imagined being where I am today, having a family like I have, grandkids like I have. Oh, there it goes again. I, I, I never would even believe that that would have been me. I, I'm amazed that I'm alive. I'm amazed that I have a brain, that I can even think, remember things. And I remember a lot of stuff. Doing the things I did, I should be like, you know, those Alzheimer's people that, you know, they barely even know their own name. A lot of my friends are that way. You know, I've got one friend that I went to school with. He's got the mentality of a five-year-old child because of his frying his brain. I don't know. God just had something for me, and it was great. So uh, in Matthew 4, i got to move along. We're not going to get through this. I told you guys, this was such a hard one. There's just so much. And um, if I don't cover it, you've got notes. You've got to study yourself. Matthew 4, chapter 10. Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, when Satan came to tempt him, when Satan came the third time, he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. He took him on the high temple and he showed him the, the kingdoms of the world and said, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, 
You shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. God doesn't want you brought in bondage to anything. He wants you serving only Him. Not because He's an egotistical, divine, cosmic, whatever out there in space that He just has to have people just always bounce down to Him. I'm not doing it. I'm just sitting here. It has nothing to do with that. It's the best for us. If we fall and worship Him, if we worship only Him, some of you guys, you know, some of you, a lot of you know me. Some of you don't. The first 20 years of my life, particularly from the time I was born to nine years old, um, you know, was probably pretty good. Uh, I'd say five. And my mom and dad divorced. I just won't even move. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to do. Uh-oh, Dan's leaving. He doesn't want to hear it. Get back here. Um, when my parents divorced when I was five, my dad died when I was nine. I started on drugs when I was ten. Till I was twenty. Okay? I was serving and worshiping something other than God. When I turned to Him and started serving Him at the age of 20, I was just like, what a waste of life I had. I wish I would have known. That's my, my one true regret. I wish I would have come to Jesus so much sooner than I did. And the people, like that guy I was telling you about, Frank, that never shared Jesus with me. Another guy that my wife went to church at the church she went to, this guy David. And uh, I remember, no, it wasn't David, it was uh, Steve. Um, this whole family, man, everybody in the family was in this church. There's like 20 of these people. And Steve, when he, when he first saw me at the church, he's just like, Kevin? I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, man, dude, I remember seeing you at school, and you'd always be wasted. And, I mean, I didn't go to school unless I was like that. He goes, I always wanted to share Jesus with you, man. I go, Steve, why didn't you? He goes, I, I didn't think you'd receive it. I'm like, why didn't you try because you could have saved me so much trouble. Don't don't have somebody come to you and tell you that. And then don't tell them about Jesus and what a life is like in Him, but don't live it yourself. you got to live it. Remember, I, I always like to use the quote, St. Francis of Assisi is attributed this quote, and it is that you must, you, know, you preach the gospel at all times, and if you must, use words. Your life is to be a preaching of the gospel, the way you live, right? Because like they say, another thing that people say is people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Your life has to be the example. Once they see it in your life, they don't listen to what you got to say. I try to live my life like that. I'm not perfect and I don't do it all the time. I try. In my business, Raising my kids as a father, as a husband, as friend, a father-in-law. Um, all that. I try. He alone is to be worshipped. In Deuteronomy 26, 8 through 1, 11, I mean, Deuteronomy 26, 8 through 11. It says, So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. Am I in the right place? 26, 8 through 11, okay. He has brought us to this place and has given us a land, this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, 
I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. The first fruits. Giving God of your first fruits worship. It's not singing only. We call it tithing. Tanner talked about it a little bit last night. Giving of your first fruits. A tithe means a tenth. That doesn't mean you can't give more than 10% of what you've gotten. But he would, he would like you to give a tenth. And it's not so God can have a big bank account. He does not need your money. We do not need your money. This church does not need your money. God wants you to give your money in obedience so that you realize that your money is just money. God wants to be number one because you can't serve God and mammon or money or materialism. Jesus said, because you will either hate the one and love the other or you will love the one and hate the other. So God says, what it is, it's like you realize, you know what, God, you gave to me and if I can give a little bit back to you and it will further your kingdom, I'm going to try putting this right here because it seemed to have stopped as soon as I did that. And doing that will further your kingdom, use it to go out and do outreaches or whatever it is. You're, you're letting go. You're realizing, ah, it's not, it's not that important. You know what I see a lot of the Christians doing? And if this offends anybody, I'm sorry, but this is what I see a lot of times, right by five points. I go in there and there's many people that I know that go to church that are buying their lottery tickets. Man, Wednesday night, you know what the lottery's up to this week? It's 68 million, 28, 250, whatever. I don't know. It's, it goes up, it goes down. Your chances of winning the lottery, not very good. Um, but see, we're trying to do a get, get rich quick thing. If God wants you rich, He doesn't need you playing the lottery. He can get you rich. If you guys ever looked at some of that stuff, that statistically, the people that win the lottery, millions and millions, those guys that you look at and you go, oh man, that dude just won $150 million because he bought one little $3 ticket or $5, I didn't even know what they cost. He bought the ticket and he won this big thing and got millions of dollars. Within five years, almost Every one of them bankrupt within five years. It's an evil that we don't see. It takes hold of you. I know. I know. Because when I was young, I had it. It took me one year to lose everything. Everything. In 1983, 1981, I inherited $43,000. Okay, That would be equivalent today of about $500,000. I was a drug dealer. So I don't even know how much money I had. From the time I was 18 until I was 19, I bought anything I wanted. Brand new car, 10 miles on it, $10,000 cash. Back then you could buy a car for $3,000. I bought a $10,000 car. Drove it off the showroom floor. Went and bought a brand new drum set. Took vacations. Did everything I wanted to do. 19 years old, I was living on Glendore Mountain Road in my car. I lost everything. I had nothing. It's, it's empty. It's so quick. It's so fleeting. And now I have nothing materially like the world says and I have everything. I've got a family, grandkids, wife, house. God is amazing what He can do and what He does do. I have a house because I always love to tell this because we have friends. 
will not tell you who they are because I don't want you to go call them and bug them. A friend of mine came to me and said, my wife and I want you and your wife to go buy a house. And he gave me $10,000 to go buy a house. That's why I have a house in Twin Peaks. People go, oh, you deserve this. No, I deserve hell. God just chose to give it to me. It's not because I deserved it. It's because he is so good. He will continue to bless if we will continue to serve. He says that give the first fruits. Rejoice in every good thing which God has given to you and to your house. And that doesn't mean like the one that I was just talking about. And the Levite and the stranger who is among you. So every good thing. What is a good thing? If you wake up on this side of the grass, that's a pretty good thing. We'd be thankful for it. Okay, you guys get that right? You're not on the other side of the grass? That's a good thing. You wake up in the morning and go, God, you gave me another day. I rejoice every day I'm alive because I should be dead. I should have been dead at 17 years old when I had a guy walking at me, loading a shotgun and putting it between my eyes. I should have been dead. That was when I was 16, 17, something like that. I'm 53. I'm still kicking. I'm still going. I'm thankful for that. I shouldn't be alive. All the others, I could tell you story after story, and I know we all have stories, but I mean, I was some bad stuff. I should be dead. But God gave me more time, and I'm just so grateful for that. And He gives me the opportunity to sit up here and talk about Him. It's crazy. I can't believe the things He does. Give God His portion, just a little bit. Not because He needs it. It's in obedience, and so you don't hang on so tightly. You realize this is just stuff. Money in and of itself is not evil. The scriptures say it's the love of money. When you're playing the lottery, trying to get rich quick thing, because, yeah, I need money. I want money. Money, money, money. Like I said, I was there. I know that. And I'm sorry if you do the lottery. I've never given a dime to it. I just don't believe in it. It's God's money. I'd rather give it to the church and watch God do what He can do, man. You talk about lottery, give it to God and you'll see millions that he can take out of your little bit, he can turn it into so much. What Tanner was talking about last night. If you guys didn't get the study, I don't want to cover all the stuff he covered. It's crazy. We keep doing this, and I'm just like, man, Tanner, you need to just either come teach Tuesday, Thursday night, or just shut up on Wednesday night and let me teach. Because we keep talking about the same stuff all the time. It's just, it's it's something that God is saying to us. So, Psalm 95. Let's go to there. Verses 1 through 7. The psalmist says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In His hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. This is talking about singing. Let's worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker, for He is our God. We are the sheep of His pasture. Notice what He owns. Remember I said He doesn't need your money? He's the great God. His hand In His hands, the deep places of the earth, the heights of the hills are His, the sea is His. He made it. His hands form the dry ground. He owns it all. Everything is His. 
He lets you keep, if you're obedient to Scripture, 90% of what you make. He lets you keep it. And He doesn't even force you to give the 10%. He wants obedience. If you're in the Mormon church, you're forced to give 10%. If you don't give 10%, you're going to get a phone call, you're going to knock on the door, and if you don't do it, you'll get excommunicated from the church. Everybody looks and you see how filthy rich the Mormon church is? That's because they forced their people to give 10%. Christian church, we don't force it. So we don't have as much money. Could you imagine if the Christians would give like they're supposed to? Look at the Mormon church. 10%. Filthy rich. When I was at Calvary Chapel, West Covina, one year, there was 3,000 people in the church. About 300 of the 3,000 faithfully gave tithe and offering. One year, we took in $3 million from 300 people, faithfully giving to the Lord. Again, it's, I'm not telling you this because we need money, okay? Tanner didn't go, Kevin, make sure you get a plug in there. That's not what this is about, okay? We don't ask for money. We don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. Like Robert used to always say, if you want to keep your money, go buy a hamburger or something. It doesn't. God doesn't need your money, okay? The board may not like me. I may have a conversation with them this weekend. I don't know. No, I'm just, they won't. They're great guys. God doesn't need it. It's, it's obedience. It's realizing that everything he has, everything we have, we, he's given it to us anyways. So we can give back. And we're going to see him bless. It's the only thing, you can read it in Malachi, I'm not going to get into it. The only thing that he promises, if you're obedient in this, then he will bless you. You might not, it doesn't mean you're going to drive Rolls Royce and Cadillacs. We got into that last week when we were talking about that faith, uh, word faith doctrine. It's, it's not that. That's not what he's saying. He will bless you. Because like I said, I've faithfully given, I've got four awesome children, three awesome grandchildren, a wife, a house, all that stuff. I got to share with three different ladies this week. You know what? I don't care if I get, and I haven't gotten any money this week. guy was supposed to bring me money today. I haven't gotten paid for this stuff. For me, that most awesome thing was sharing with those three ladies this week. And in, in my head, after I got done, I just kept thinking of Jesus' word, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. When they came to Jesus and said, you need to eat. He says, I have, a meat, I have meat that you know not of. It's a spiritual thing. I get filled when I get to share God's word with people. It's crazy. I love it. God is so good. We need to worship, bow down. That's what the psalmist is calling us to. Right in the next Psalm 96, 7 through 9, he says, Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Just come before him and just bow the knee. It's a sign of surrender. That's what it's about. God, man, you're so good. I don't deserve anything I have. And I truly mean the only thing I deserve is hell. I totally mean that with my whole heart. I tell you all the time and I will continue to tell you to the day I die. I hope I never change this attitude. I benefited nothing in the kingdom of God when God saved me. He didn't do it because he goes, man, if I can get Kevin on my team, man, then we're going to get some stuff done. He probably sat there and went, oh, man. I got to take Kevin too. But he did. He took me. You know, it's like being at school and you're choosing up teams and there's that one kid, you're like, ah, he's not going on my team. 
That's all of us, man. God's going, I don't know. They're not the best. God didn't do that. He goes, oh, that's the one that everybody else would pick last? That's the one I want. Because if I can take the one that everybody else esteems as low and I can turn them into something great, they'll know it isn't them, it's me. That's why he does it. I sit up here and I tell you, I hate talking in front of people. Look what God's got me doing. You guys have heard Tanner say the same thing. Michael, he's, he was the same way. He's a lot more open now. I didn't know him before he married my daughter. But I know what he was like, I've heard. He was very shy, very introverted. He leads worship now. It's, and you just look and you go, it's not something that Michael did. It's something that God does through Michael. Okay? That's God. What does he want to do through you? He wants to do so much. Give to the Lord. Give the glory and strength. Give the Lord the glory. Do his name. Bring an offering. And it's not talking about money. Okay, we're, we got a little. I didn't get a lot of. Isaiah 6, 1 through 5. I, was, I already talked about it, so we won't cover it. But we're right here it says, Bring the Lord an offering. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. He says, bring an offering. The fruit of your lips, praising his name. That's an offering to God. He loves that stuff. Again, not because he's egotistical. We realize what he's done for us. And how can we? but speak of those great things that he's done. That's why as I'm up here and you'll hear different things about me and my life. One, so that some of you can relate. You go, oh, you know, this guy, this church guy, always been in... I wasn't always in church. I was the first Christian in my family. The first one, 1983. I just told you what I was like before that. So you can know, hey, God can do it with you too. And you don't have to be where I am. I tell people all the time, I tell my kids, I say, you have a greater testimony. Michael, who grew up in the church, has a greater testimony than I do because they did not have to experience what I did. God was able to keep them from those things. I go, man, I wish I had that testimony because I've had people tell me, oh, I wish I had your testimony. No, you don't. Because my testimony, all that stuff is up here and I got to deal with it all the time. I know I'm forgiven. It's like a scar. You know, I got a scar right here on my forehead when I was five years old, running out the front door, hit a chair, face first on the asphalt driveway, knocked out, head split open. The scar's there, but you know what? It doesn't hurt anymore. I remember because I got the scar, but the pain's gone. It doesn't hurt anymore. It's not bleeding anymore. That's my past life. The scars are there. It doesn't hurt anymore. I've been forgiven of all that stuff. I can move on from there. I don't want to forget, you know, like the scar on my hat. When I run out the front door, look for the chair. You don't want to do that again. Right? That's our life in the past. I remember when I hung out with those people, when I was around this situation, this is what I did. You know what? I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to change. I'm going to go the other way. I don't have any of my friends from the world. Not one of them. 
I left them all. I'd sit at home every weekend. I was, if you guys were the dealer, and I know some of you guys have done that, you were the man. Everybody was around all the time because you had the stuff, right? To sit at home on the weekend and have nobody. My so-called best friend called me on Friday night. Hey, dude, you still not partying? Like, nope. He goes, okay, bye. Every Friday night, I got that phone call. He kept waiting for me to come back. About six months in, he just he stopped calling. Because he knew, I'm not coming back. I'm done, dude. I'm never coming back. Years later, he came searching me out. I talk about this. I know i got to hurry up. Um, he was walking up my street. My street was just full of apartments. And he knew I lived on that street. He was going to every door, every apartment on that street. Because he knew I lived there somewhere. And he was knocking on every door trying to find me. I finally saw him walking up my driveway. I'm like, I go out, dude, what are you doing here? Because I've been looking for you. I've been walking up and down the street, knocking on every door, because I knew you lived up here somewhere. He wanted to find me that bad. This is my best friend that used to call me on Fridays. Now he was searching me out because he knew I still wasn't doing that. He wanted to know what was up. He knew I had something better than what he had. He wanted a little bit of it. Ephesians 5, and this will be our last. Otherwise, Chris is going to start throwing stuff at me. There's so much in here, you guys. I told you, this was the hardest study because there's so much in the Scripture about worship and what it is. It's so much deeper than just singing songs. Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Paul says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Amen to that, huh? Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. This is what we are to be. Where it says, therefore, do not be unwise, but but understand what the will of the Lord is. You may not know what the will of the Lord is. I don't know, but next week we're going to study that. That's our study next week, so let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for tonight, for the opportunity, again, to hear from you, I hope. Continue to bless us and help us to understand what it is to just worship you. And it's not song, Lord. It's the way we live our life every day. Each person that we come across, that we would live the life that would exemplify who you are and what you've done in our lives. Continue to bless us and bless the Thursday night studying. Keep everybody safe as they drive home with whatever that is going on outside. Um, And just continue to bless this church and just grow it, not for the number's sake, but so that we can see many, many people come to know who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.